0: History lesson. The grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies hassled the NBA from 2010 to 2017, a team full of hard workers and team believers that featured such talent as Marcus All, who won DPOI with the team, the first Grizzly Spanish, and European player to do so. Mike Conley, winner of the annual Most Underrated Player in the NBA award every single year, and Zach Randolph, Zebo, known for the video of, uh, in my hood, bullies get bullied, and Tony Allen, who's in the news recently, but we're not going to cover why. After that team's impressive tenure, the Grizzlies began to retool. Gasol was sent to the Raptors at the 2018-19 deadline, a trade that brought in Jonas Valanciunas, Delon Wright, CJ Miles, and a 2024 second-round draft pick to the Grizzlies and an anchor for a title-winning defense for the Raptors. After that season, the Grizzlies changed course. Jason Wexler was announced as team president, and Zachary Klyman was promoted to general manager slash EVP of basketball operations, Taylor Jenkins, a Milwaukee assistant, was hired as head coach. Mike Conley was traded to the Utah Jazz in exchange for Grayson Allen, Kyle Corver, Jay Crowder, and the 23rd pick of the 2019 NBA draft. None of those were the big acquisition, however. No, the Grizzlies had the second overall pick in that draft, and they're awaited Ja Morant, a lightning quick guard that lit up opposing defenses and offenses in college. They've surrounded him with one of the one of the maturest young cores in the league, and hang with me there. Memphis has established themselves as one of the premier drafters in the league, if not the best. They've traded for Brandon Clark at number 21, traded for Desmond Bain at number 30, and Xavier Tellman in the second second round in the same draft. There's more examples, and we're going to talk about them later at length. But that brings us to here. In the middle of an ahead-of-schedule rebuild facing an important season, Morant and the Grizzlies buttered, butted their way into the playoffs after knocking off the Spurs and Steph Curry in subsequent play-in games. Despite lasting five games to the number one seed in the West, they showed a lot of promise going forward. Let's see if they can continue that vision. Welcome back to No Bucks Given. We're back with more team previews before the NBA opening night on October 19th. We're nine days away, just nine. And we're recording three episodes today for you guys this week. You'll be receiving them on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of this week. Today is Monday when you'll be listening to this. And if you haven't guessed yet, we're covering the Memphis Grizzlies. But as we're always on the team previews, we are joined by an extra special guest. That is a cadence and phrase I stole entirely from Dunktown, one of my favorite NBA podcasts. Go check them out. Free plug, free plug, free plug. A writer and po- a writer, sorry, a writer and podcast for at SBN Grizzlies. At talking chop at lockdown grizzlies, you can find the on the grizzlies podcast on pretty much all platforms, including video on YouTube. The host is at stats sac on Twitter, Sean Coleman. Sean, welcome to the show. How are you? Good grief, that is
1: one of the best <laughs> opens and introductions here. And I'm being brought on as the guy to talk about the grizzlies, but I, I'll just be honest with you, I may just let you do all the talking, man. That was phenomenal. First <laughs> off, you. the podcast name is about as creative as it gets. So <laughs> kudos to you for that. Um, I'm hoping to follow in the footsteps of wonderful former guests like Amari Sankofa, who yes. is the absolute epitome of basketball coverage for the Detroit Pistons. But in all in all, Kent, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yes, thank you. It is a pleasure. And as he referenced, Omari was on the last episode on the Detroit Pistons. It's on all platforms right now. Go check it out. The most esteemed history potentially in MBG history so far part of the mbg cinematic universe if you will eventually they will all overlap i don't know how to get into more of that metaphor but you know we're yeah. gonna move on <laughs>
1: well I'll, t- I'll tell you this real quickly i know amari's love for the comic books so you can let him know i will challenge him any day of the week when it comes to talking <laughs> comic books he knows that because we always love talking about it when we talk but that's more <laughs> of a joke but that's one of the reasons why i love amari
0: oh yeah oh yeah interest all over the place and knowledgeable in all of them just an overall just super smart guy here are the next steps on the podcast we're going to work through the roster name by name and discuss whatever comes up typically we'll cover everything we need to for the team through that afterwards however we'll talk about what we've seen so far in the preseason the grizzlies are two and one by the way with a game tonight against the detroit pistons and what we expect to see from them in the regular season finally we'll close with some clickbaity yes or no questions because we are in this immense pressure to be entertaining to the world. Another narrative-driven show announced at ESPN, by the way, but I do like the host. Who cares? Roster. Let's start with Taylor Jenkins, the head coach. A Budenholzer assistant, a Budenholzer, by the way, who is um, gathering quite a resume and a coaching treat in the NBA. Taylor Jenkins, one of his star proteges, made an impression right away in Memphis. I don't believe he won coach of the year, but he was in talks all year. And depending on how you view the award could have made an argument for him to win. Now we're seeing him and I believe his third season as head coach. And when I said mature young cores in the past, I mean, some of these rookies and second year players are older college players, but other of other than they just carry themselves maturely like John Moran. And a lot of that has to do with the culture that Jenkins has brought in. So, Sean, can you tell me first about how you first felt when the coaching hire was announced, but then how you've seen the relationship grow and what you expect to see from Taylor this season? Yeah, I think that COVID, that Taylor
1: Jenkins is, um, listen, you, you, you're you going to talk about coaches only so much, and the coaches mm-hmm. that are going to be talked about the most are the ones that are going to be, you know, coaching the championship contenders like Mike Budenholzer, yep. I find it wonderful that you know, I don't think Mike Budenholzer is the best coach in the NBA, but right. I'm glad that he. I think that his help in developing Giannis and that core mm-hmm. has really taken them to the next step. Yes. and that's kind of what Taylor Jenkins has done, and a lot of it comes from what he learned under Coach Budenholzer. Mm-hmm. He took this Grizzlies franchise to the next step. Yes, the Grizzlies looked into getting John Moran. They were able to get Jaron Jackson Jr. as well. Yes, but where Taylor Jenkins. From the beginning to now, when he first got hired, didn't know a lot about him. The thing that stood out to me was that he mentioned right from the start of his press conference and where he came from with Budenholzer. It seemed immediately this is the coach that the Grizzlies needed to right. take that step forward in shooting the threes. Because mm-hmm. the Grizzlies had arguably been the worst three-point shooting team over the past 15 years yep. before Jenkins came in. That immediately was embraced. Uh, he more than doubled our overall three-point production. Yeah, Marcus saw the
0: shooting threes for the first time.
1: They did. They well, well. So he did it beforehand. Okay. But the point okay. was, the point was, was that you're right. He fully brought in that three-point shooting campaign, but embracing modern basketball for the three-point shooting, developing players into being better than many expected them to be much quicker than anybody could have anticipated. Right. And also adding value to veterans. Like, for instance, making Jonas a more a better offensive player. Yep. Making Kyle Anderson a shooter. Yes. We've seen a couple of indications of Steven Adams' playmaking. Mm-hmm. Those are the telltale signs. But more than anything, ago, it's the ability to communicate and get the trust of players. The players have talked about it. The first thing that struck them about Coach Jenkins, he's going to fully trust them. As long as they fully trust him. And that's what's allowed for this culture to be created to where the best versions of these Grizzlies players keep
0: emerging time after time. So that's what stands out about Jenkins. You're absolutely right. He trusts his players as much as they trust them. There are coaches in this league, not, we're not going to name any names, that wouldn't let a John Morant at that young play with such flair and dramatic play. It's the same with how Lamelo was able to flourish in Charlotte as a 19-year-old. There are coaches in this league that would have nipped that in the bud immediately. So it's very cool to see Taylor do this and has grown a culture in Memphis that everyone has bought in. We're gonna start with the guy that we've mentioned. It's time and time again. It's John Morant. You guys know him. Everyone knows John Morant. Even if you're just an NBA Twitter casual, there are dozens of accounts dedicated to him and highlight reels posted every single day. The 2019 20 rookie of the year, the number two pick in that draft behind Zion Williamson. And he's averaged 19.1 points and 7.4 assists last season. We saw him carry a team to the play-in game. Jonas Valanciunas is a massive part of that. I understand. He dropped 20-20 in one of the play-in games. He's a a big part of why they were winning. But it seemed as if when the the Grizzlies needed a bucket that Ja was going for, he dropping 40. And I think that was exemplified in the Golden State game more than most. And then that first game in Utah was very exciting. It's a young team. You wouldn't have expected them to win that game alone. And then they stayed in for five. It's great for them. What are you expecting to see from Ja this year? Specifically, the defensive end is there going to be some like more commitment to it? He tries. I'm not saying that there isn't effort, but is more about is there going to be more of a positive growth point of attack? Or is there more of an emphasis on allowing some rest on that end with Steven Adams coming in as a rim protector? Anything else that can come across your mind on Ja, let me hear it.
1: Yeah, no, um, I do think that defense is going to naturally become better and better. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you come to understand that these young players, especially for the Grizzlies, none of these players over who have come in the NBA over the past two years, none of them have played a full NBA schedule. Right. We're talking about John Morant, 130 games under his belt. Yep. Other players, the same difference. So they're still very much early on in their NBA experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: On the defensive side of the ball, he's going to naturally improve. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be a plus anytime soon? Probably not. Nah. But part of the value that Ja Morant gets or part of the value that the Grizzlies get from being a strong defensive team is that they could the, let J- Jaw not necessarily take on too huge a load on defense to basically make the most of the offense. Mm-hmm. So defensively, I don't necessarily know if he's going to take a giant step forward. And if he doesn't, that's not necessarily a big deal. Right. For me, it's the shooting. And can Jaw. Step into putting over a full season, what he did in the second half of last season, where he shot 37% from three, mainly because his pull-up shooting improved dramatically from April 1st on. Mm-hmm. What stands out about Jaw is going to be the ability to once again show he can be an elite scorer when he mm-hmm. needs to. He could be an elite playmaker when he needs to and being able to use the judgment of featuring which one of those is going to make the most impact. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I think that John Morant, if he has a 20-point, eight assists per game season, 35 or so percent from three, you're seeing somebody get into the all-star conversation. Yes. Number one, you're seeing someone at the age of 22 who's going to join a very exclusive group of great talents to do that type of production at 22 but you're also looking at a guy who's taken that needed step forward to become one of the better
0: young offensive players in the game. Mm -hmm. That's my expectation from John Moran. And it's high expectations for John Moran and he wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, if we're keeping it honest, and the odds are that he will continue to exceed our expectations. Let's talk about who is most commonly considered the number two in this rebuild, the, X factor even of this franchise, I would argue, depends on how he develops. And that's Jaron Jackson Jr., JJJ, is the number four pick in the 2018 draft. The talent's been a question, but not as much of a question as anything else. The height's there, the shooting touches there, even if the percentage isn't. And he has big play potential when he wants to. But the issue has always been the health. He's played 58, 57, and 11 games in the three seasons of his career. I want to see him succeed. I'm sure not as much as the Memphis organization and their dedicated fans, but he's a kid that I really want to see figure it out because the talent is there and a pick and roll partner like that with jaw would be scary. So what are you expecting from JJJ health-wise first and foremost but if he could stay on the floor, what would you like to see out of him?
1: You certainly would love to see what Jaron Jackson Jr. And you hit the nail on the head. You said the second, the, the number two, the second foundation piece for this future. That's a
0: foundation piece, yes.
1: Yeah, but, but also the X factor. And so you could not make a more true statement, but that could not be more exciting, but yeah. also more concerning. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how you – It's never fun to see such a big part of your future be considered an X factor, but that's what it is when Mm -hmm. it comes to Jaron, health-wise and all that. The best way I can describe it, what I'd love to see, is Jaron's offensive approach that improved during the second season he was in the NBA to be coupled with the defensive and supporting stats that we showed last year. The improved rebounding, improved blocks, improved steals, the impactful defender that he was at times last year, those impactful defensive flashes. I want that to be combined with the shooting. Are we going to get that early? Probably not. Are we going to get 35 minutes a night, Jaron? Probably not. But right now we're seeing health. And at the end of the day, again, we're talking about a guy that just turned 22, mm-hmm. though he's already getting into his fourth season. He has less than, he has less games played. If I remember correctly, he has less games played in his career than John does. Yeah. or They're right about the same. So my point is is that Jaron, the potential is certainly there like it's always been. Mm -hmm. Is he going to reach it is a bigger question. Do I feel he reaches full potential this year? No. Do I think there's a very good chance he takes that step forward health-wise and takes that step forward to at least establish a basis of what he could be? Yes. So I think it's not going to be an overwhelming, yes, he's the clear number two in this Memphis rebuild of players on the roster right now but I do think he answers it with a clear yes by showing flashes on defense, good shooting performances. And I think that you're looking at probably a seven to 18 score with a guy who could really make a big difference defensively at times too.
0: Yeah. It's very exciting to think of what he can be. And I guess, I mean, it's not an exact parallel, but in terms of a franchise betting, not the entire success of the team, but the next level of a team on a player that has been injured for a lot of their career. It has flashes of Joel Embiid for me because As much turmoil as the Philadelphia 76ers are in right now, they would be nowhere even close as successful if they had not bet their entire franchise on a guy like Joel Embiid, a guy who was number two in the MVP vote next year. I'm not saying any of this has to pertain to Jaron Jackson Jr. before. I'm saying that franchises have made this bet before and they have paid out in the way that they have intended before. And that's a sign of confidence for me. Let's move on to, I think, Another member of the starting lineup, another younger guy in terms of the overall structure of the team is Dylan Brooks, someone who made waves with his defense on Stephen Curry, while their son may argue was overrated or not, has certainly made impressions on people watching those games. The 45th pick in the 2017 draft traded to Memphis, didn't play a game for anyone else. Dylan Brooks, sometimes he can get pull-up crazy from what I've read and the limited exposure I've had to the player. It gives me shades of Marcus Smart to a time, except for Marcus Smart has seemed to have shot so much that he's kind of figured it out and is now the starting point guard for the playoff expected Boston Celtics. What do you see about Dylan Brooks? Do you think he is the future backcourt partner for Ja? the next coming years when they become a very more a more competitive team if not a contender in the next three to four seasons or is he a developmental backcourt mate at this time the answer to that question
1: actually may be that he is your three that's where he performed uh best last year yeah and it's a development not many of us thought right right it's a development where in previous versions of the Grizzlies, especially during the um, Jaws rookie year, there were kind of signs of seeing uh, Dylan at the three. But then last year, that's where he really stepped up and emerged. And if you don't Mm. watch the Grizzlies a lot, it's not something that you pick up on. Right. But Dylan at the three is really something that develops because the NBA is becoming more of a jump shooting, smaller, two-way type requirement, mm-hmm. a more athletic, whatever you want to call it. Dylan last year stepped up as the face of this defense, a defense that was top 10 in the NBA. But he adds an element that the rest of the depth doesn't in that he does a great job limiting the effectiveness of the opposing team's other score right. while the rest of the deep while the rest of the defense creates havoc through turnovers and what what have you. Dylan's ability to do that and the effort that he consistently shows is where he makes his impact. On offense, yes. Before last year, there was a very polarizing aspect of Dylan's game. When he was on, the Grizzlies could play with anyone. When he was off, he was a detriment at times. Yes, But last year, he consistently got better at his shot selection, at knowing how to create his own shot, knowing that he didn't necessarily improve his playmaking, but he continued the offensive play instead of taking an ill-advised shot. He did better at his overall ability to improve Mm -hmm. his shot selection, and that's what stood out. The thing where you're going to see Dylan change this year, he's going to take a step back Mm -hmm. in overall usage. That's where he's going to stand out. With Jaron Jackson Jr. being back and possibly DeAnthony Melton in the starting lineup, right. you're not going to see 20 shots a game from Dylan, 12 to 15 a game. But if he could start making more threes where he really improved last year, mm-hmm. if he could start making more complimentary moves as a third option where the defense has focused on Jaron and Jaw, that could help out his quality as a scorer to go along with the impact
0: he can make as the leader of our defense. Mm hmm. I love that it's so. Thinking of Dylan Brooks, less of a Marcus Smart and more of a supercharged way of the Nets using Bruce Brown. I think is a, a parallel there. I think it's great. Do what do you think about that? Is that in in your terms accurate? It, it it's comparisons are fine, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm in no way, shape, or form
1: trying to say what well, the comparisons that you're making are, are are not there. Sure, but but yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that. But Dylan, you know, yeah, a Marcus Smart type player, though there may be different versions of himself. Dylan's style of play is very much a, he's learned how to take a lot of quantity. He's not Mm -hmm. the most athletic player. He's not the most, uh, you know, skill gifted player. You know, there's not anything about Dylan that truly is exceptional in terms of his natural skill.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Where he stands out that makes him elite is his ability he wants to embrace the dylan the villain role yes he wants to piss other people off and he wants to do it by being the guy who's given the most
0: effort on the court at all times that's where dylan brooks is elite all right yes i fully agree there you mentioned another guy who may be in the starting lineup especially if dylan is starting at the three is d'anthony melton who is a massively underrated player there's the 46th overall pick in 2018 one season with the phoenix Suns before they traded him to memphis um he is uh i i don't even want to you give us your description of who De'Anthony melton is as a player and a backcourt mate to john Murray. he is a three and t player now
1: okay here we go three Three and T, not three and D, Mm -hmm. three and T as in threes and turnovers. He's the only player in NBA history who has played more than a thousand minutes in a season with more than 10 or more, with 10 or more three point attempts that had a 40% or better accuracy from three with a 2.5% assist or higher rate and 2.5% block or higher rate. Now, that's a lot of numbers, and I get it. I'm a big numbers guy. But the point that I'm making is this, is that the shooter that DeAnthony Melton became last year, to go along with the havoc he can create on defense, in terms of his specialty of being a guy who can alter shots, deflect, create, steals, pickpocket, and rebound as a guard, that's a very rare combination. Mm-hmm. It's not someone that's going to turn into a level of a Giroux holiday, or I, I don't ever think that DeAnthony Melton is going to become an all NBA type talent. Okay. If he does, great. Mm-hmm. But he is someone who clearly makes an impact in terms of activity and quality that very few players at his age do. And so with that in mind, and the fact that the Grizzlies have traded Grayson Allen to the inferior Milwaukee Bucks, I'm kidding. (laughs) The fact that the Grizzlies have now moved Grayson Allen on to the Milwaukee Bucks, Taylor Jenkins loves his shooting when it comes to Desmond Bain. So Mm -hmm. Desmond Bain may be the starter. Sure. But the key is, is that when it comes to the two way ability of DeAnthony Melton, and not only that, how his two way ability of creating turnovers gets the Grizzlies out on the run where he can also contribute in transition offense. Mm -hmm. And you have his improved shooting. He's one of your five most impactful players. And the numbers also suggest of any potential backcourt mate that's on the roster with John Morant, he makes the best impact. So when it comes to the Grizzlies, you've got every reason. There's no reason whatsoever. You should not feature the hell out of right. D'Anthony Melton. Mm-hmm. Because of his ability to create turnovers, his improved shooting, his activity, every time he's on the court, good things happen in Memphis's favor. Why not take advantage of that as much as possible?
0: Right. Yeah, I fully agree. I was a little concerned when Memphis started stockpiling defensive guards like Eric Bledsoe and Patrick Beverly and uh, ended up uh, chipping them off and being able to still feature DeAnthony Melton is a great thing. Um, I I will say this. You see why they stockpiled them because it led to them eventually
1: getting Jarrett Culver and things such as that. But one of the reasons why they stockpiled them is because they knew how valuable those type of players are and you see why they put such an emphasis on
0: getting DeAnthony Melton two years ago mm-hmm, and developing his game. Right, right. Um I did want to ask you one thing. Have you at all heard what fans in Milwaukee are calling Grayson Allen um, to hype him up for the upcoming season at all? I have not. I've heard that when it comes due to past encounters,
1: when it comes to Grayson in the great yeah. state of uh, Wisconsin's uh, collegiate basketball <laughs> team, I've heard that, People are trying to to shift a bit. Um, I talked with Kane Pittman a bit on the Locked On Bucks oh, podcast. Yeah. Um, great guy. Big uh, shout out to Kane. Yeah, he's great. He's wonderful. Um, he had talked about the fact that they're trying to embrace him, but uh, now I haven't heard of the name that they're calling him. It's Gray Allen. Gray
0: Allen. Okay, got gotcha. Ray, Ray Allen, legend uh, of the Milwaukee Bucks. Gray Allen will be the return. Um, that's not actually going to happen, but we have seen his exciting three point ability. Uh, with Memphis, and I'm excited to see it when he's receiving passes from one Giannis Antetokounmpo. But you, this episode, will go ahead. You, you you have my
1: word. When it comes to Grayson Allen, it's not just a hype. The three-point shot is legit. It's legit. It, he's streaky. He's more streaky than a Bane or somebody like that. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, he was traded because he was older, less controlled, and just was not the overall talent that Bain That's or Melton were. That's nothing against him. It's just the truth. Grayson Allen, though, when he's hot, if you want to talk about – you saw the impact Brent Forbes made last year for y'all. Right, right Grayson exactly. Grayson Allen may have a bit of a higher floor, lower ceiling than Forbes, but when Grayson Allen's going, he can win you ballgames. Yes. You, compare, you know, compare with – you know, complimenting your big three. There's a lot to like there with Milwaukee and what boot holes are likes and his role players.
0: Yes. And Grayson Allen will be um, quite possibly the starting shooting guard with Dante DiVincenzo sideline to start the season. And both of them are up for rookie extensions at the end of the season as restricted free agents, meaning they are competing for, the future at the starting uh, shooting guard for the Milwaukee Bucks because they will not pay both. One of them will be traded. This episode is about the Memphis Grizzlies. Let's continue with the other forward in the mix who has been a starter in the past, had a career year, in my opinion, last year, was acquired as a free agent from the San Antonio Spurs in 2018 and affectionately, well, at least when I refer to him, as Slow mo um, known for his exploits with not an NBA level athletics, still an elite athlete in terms of the average person, Um, but it's his touch and his poise that gets him baskets. He's got a lot of, um, he's got post moves like a big man and he hits the mid-range at least last year at an incredible clip. The forward that Memphis needed during the grit and grind era with the three-point shooting and the defense and the playmaking which they almost got with Chauncey Billups, Kyle Anderson, are you expecting him to remain as a starter, or is he a depth part of the rotation at this point? Yeah, he's
1: probably going to be someone that is going to come off the bench. And, okay. and, you know, at first, I thought the Grizzlies were going to go with the lineup, starting lineup that they did last year when Jaren got back. Jaw, Dylan, Jaren, uh, Kyle, and Jonas are just going to replace Jonas with Steven Adams. But I think that Taylor Jenkins wants to get more shooting out there. Mm -hmm. So that's Melton or Bane at the end. I think it'll be Bane, but the other big reason why you see Kyle as a benefit as a six man, as you mentioned, there's so many different ways. He is a wonderful supporting guy for a lot of the Grizzlies best players. And you saw Taylor Jenkins in the past stagger Kyle Anderson's minutes to play with our bench, to add playmaking defense, whatever, have you, whatever it may be. I don't think that Kyle Anderson long term is going to shoot like he did in the first half of last year. Fair enough. He dropped off a bit last year in the second half of the season. I think that also with the with with how slow he is, and this is not in any way, shape, or form an insult. It's just the truth. He is someone where his three point shooting really relies on his ability as a catch and shoot three point shooter. Mm-hmm. He can he can create a bit for himself. He's just got to have a lot of space and it's harder to maintain good shooting numbers for you. when that's the case. So the shooting aspect of things, it's taken a step forward. Do I think he's a 40% three-point shooter going forward? I don't, but he doesn't have to be. Sure. His rebounding efforts improved last year. Block efforts improved last year. The facilitator, the resourceful score, all that went up. That is a fine, fine supporting cast member for a winner and that's why I think leading the bench is going to be a very good role for Kyle Anderson while also mixing in. I think the closing lineup would feature Kyle at the four and Jaron at the five right now Mm -hmm. for the Grizzlies, and that's because of what he can do on defense and all offense. So I'm not taking anything away from Kyle. He Mm -hmm. stepped forward last year. The Kyle Anderson you see now is a significantly better offensive player than he was 12 months ago. But can he maintain his shooting going forward? I think he's probably at 33 34% shooter from three i don't necessarily know if he's going to shoot 42 percent again on three three uh, or excuse me 40 percent again on catch and shoot threes but overall i do think that he's someone you can truly trust whether he's a starter a bench player high leverage situations whatever have you you can plug and play him and he can contribute in so many ways
0: even if scoring is not the top way Mm mm-hmm I uh, agree. I love Kyle Anderson. I really do. Even when he was in San Antonio, he's just a very fun player to watch. Um, Let's talk about a few more players before we move on. I definitely want to hear about the man in the middle um, who's expected to be the next the new starting center in Memphis. Last year was Jonas Valanciunas, who you remember was acquired in the Marcus Sall trade. So it's been a few seasons with Jonas, who's really flourished in Memphis as a low post scorer. He's been able to shoot it from the elbow, a little a smidge of three-point shooting and a lot of playmaking. Prototypical Euro big, um, but on a team with so much athleticism, it has really shown out. And he made significant contributions in the play-in and the playoffs last season. I understand the trade for Memphis. And I am certainly not close to the level of decision making that the Memphis organization is at. They have proven time and time again that they are a very smart group in terms of the decisions they are making. I worry because Steven Adams, after 25 games every season, the shine wears off in new Orleans. He was a welcome presence because they acquired him for his defense and his rebounding two things that he is good at the defense isn't as elite as people think, but he is good at defense. And he is a great rebounder, if not elite. But after that, the spacing woes do kick in and on a team like new Orleans, it never made sense with Zion Williamson and uh, Lonzo ball as your point guard, even though Lonzo got into shooting. It never made sense. And while the spacing is better in Memphis, John Morant, your star pupil, has shown that he has a propensity for the three-point shot, but he is not at a level where you would consider him a positive spacer in your scheme. You've guys got like DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain. Can you play them at the same time? Can you start both of them at the same time? Probably not. Jaron Jackson has that shot, but with Steven Adams, I worry that a pick and roll with John Morant will get swallowed up because of the shooting. Jonas could pop. Steve Adams cannot pop. Can you convince me otherwise of Stephen Adams' fit, or do you have the same concerns that I have, Sean? Well,
1: I, I, your concerns bring up the concerns you bring up are, are, are very logical and they're valid, I feel. But one of the things, and this is nothing against the way that you described it, it's just the way that I have seen the Grizzlies approach it, is that a lot of the things out there about Stephen Adams are, you know, the supporting cast he fit with, the expectations that he needed to be, mm-hmm. making him making him more or something that he's not, all totally this different fair. stuff. The thing that the Grizzlies have done and that they always seem to do well is embrace who a player is. You see it about, in the, across the NBA in terms of instead of focusing on all about what a, a, a player needs to improve doing or mm-hmm. adding to what a player is already doing, why not emphasize? Making them do the best version of what they do mm-hmm. at their strengths. For Steven Adams, that's taking his, his offensive rebounding and making it to where he's a more effective second chance source, putback mm-hmm. source. He's already averaging 6.5 second joints or second chance points per game in his two preseason games. That's what made Jonas Valanciunas so lethal. But the other thing is, is embracing the fact that that Steven Adams has shown a significant improvement in his playmaking ability. His overall source of assists and and, and accurate passes to lead to scoring chances have taken a significant bump over the past two years. He now is in an environment that embraces passing. We're a top five passing team in terms of assists since Taylor Jenkins took over. So you're, so you're embracing that defense and that rebounding as you mentioned as his strengths, you know, he's not an outside threat. So if he himself is not an outside threat, why not make him as best of a supporting cast member for others to be outside threats? Mm -hmm. Make him a better passer to be able to get guys on cuts and catch and shoot opportunities, but also take advantage of his offensive rebounding and putback skills when guys go to the rim or when long rebounds are needed on threes. So that's what's different about Memphis, I feel, for Steven Adams than in New Orleans or perhaps late in his career in OKC. The Grizzlies are going to embrace who he truly is, make his strengths the best versions of himself. And now if you can add his playmaking ability in, you don't have a star, but you have a guy who does an effective job in support, supporting your stars. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Steven Adams is going to be. If you're trying to make him Jonas Valanciunas, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Let him be the best version of Steven Adams. And I think that that version could be something we've never seen before
0: with the added playmaking we've seen so far in Memphis. I tell you what, Jonas Valanciunas flourished in Memphis and added a ton to his game that we didn't think was there. So I'm willing to believe that Steven Adams can add that to that game. And for him to become another level of a player in this season would be such a welcome thing, I think, for it. All fans of the NBA, a somewhat universally beloved player, maybe. Um, Best person, one of the best personalities in basketball. Yes, one of the best personalities. Uh, Love the guy. And I guess the question was never that he had vision in terms of passing. He is a good screener. It is not just bulk. And just how his frame for screening, obviously part of it is that, but he knows the pockets of space that he needs to get into and the pockets of space that his guard needs to get into. So he knows where those pockets are. The question was, if you put the ball in his hands, can he execute that? The Memphis Grizzlies are willing to find out and the early returns on that are nice. Let's move on to... Two more players I want to talk about on the roster and then we're going to move on. First one is the backup center. I love this player. I loved him in the draft. I thought the Memphis Grizzlies stole him just like they steal every player in the draft. Every time they enter a draft, Xavier Tillman, Jr. A smaller than your average rim protector, but a switchable player and a player with a shot. What do you think his role in the rotation is this year? And as you mentioned the Jaron Jackson at the five vision, could you see Xavier Tillman at the four or the five with, uh, with JJJ in some of these lineups?
1: Sure. I I do think that there certainly is the ability for Tillman to play up there with Jaron. I don't think that Tillman is for a championship team, someone that you're going to feature at the five. I, I, I just don't. I think that he is the perfect, he is a perfect, eighth or ninth player in a rotation mm-hmm. okay. for a championship team Dylan, But uh, the thing about Xavier Tillman that stands out last year with rookies among rookies that had played 50 or more games and averaged 15 or more minutes per game, Xavier Tillman had the best true shooting and effective field goal percentage. He was second in individual net value among rookies. The reason I bring all these things up a goo is because the one thing that stands out about Xavier Tillman, you're not going to find it in the box score. You're going to find it on film more often than not. He is one of the best young bets in the league at consistently adding positive value, both on, or both on offense and defense. Mm-hmm. He's not going to offer the most value, but he's going to offer consistent positive value. The de- the, the uh, tendency to be able to create turnovers, the overall team defense, his passing is a big man. He's improved shooting. All those things stand out. A plug and play guy, kind of like a bigger Kyle Anderson who can play the five. But Xavier Tillman, I don't anticipate that he's going to sit there and challenge Stephen Adams to be the starting center. He's going to clearly become a guy that you play in high leverage or closing minutes, you know, in your, uh, you know, on the court. I think he's going to be a complimentary fifteen to twenty minute a, a, a night guy mm-hmm. who's going to really embrace what Memphis is trying to do with improved passing and shooting. And if that's the case, then you've really got a guy who's stepping up to be one of the best young team in the NBA's second or third guy off the bench their first big that they go to off the bench that could really, really contribute when he's in the game, but it's the overall positive value and the little things that he does well to again, support the stars around him or the more impactful players around him that stands out about Xavier Tillman.
0: Yeah. I just love his, his contribution on the court. He's just a, so the, the definition of a mature young player, um, there's many players on the Memphis Grizzlies are last player. We're going to cover for now, Zierre Williams. They traded up to get him at number 10 wings. They were going to go wing. They're always going to go wing in this draft. If they were going to trade up, there were wings like Moses Moody left on the board. He has seen 17, 20 and then 26 minutes a game in the preseason. Um, 26 was his highest in the game yesterday. Are you expecting him to be a regular part of the rotation or are they kicking the tires on a rookie that they plan on developing for a while?
1: When he was drafted, the night that he was drafted, Agu, um, our our GM, Zach Kleiman, who's been at the forefront of of what has been such a wonderful rebuild for Memphis, he mentioned it's going to be a multi year process with Zaire, and the Grizzlies viewed that. Now, it was assumed that Zaire, the Grizzlies kind of, you know, constructed the narrative that he was the guy all along. I don't believe that. I believe that Josh. Josh Giddy was a guy that they were looking at. Oh, yeah. Franz, Franz Wagner was a guy that they were looking at. When both those guys went off the court or both off the board. Mm-hmm. Zaire Williams made the most sense. Now, on draft night, I was wanting James Boatnight or yeah. Moses Moody. Just because they were more productive as college players, mm-hmm. I felt like they met bigger needs more immediately. But the reason why Zaire Williams was picked was because of what was left on the board. He had the highest peak. Of meeting the Grizzlies' two biggest needs in one player, a shot creator who could also act as a secondary facilitator and can contribute on defense from a skill set standpoint, will also be in a big wink. and that's why they took him. Mm-hmm. And since the Grizzlies had done so well at hitting time after time again and establishing the roster that they had, they had the chance to take a risk to take a home run type swing while they, you know, earlier had hit on singles and doubles. So that's why they took Zaire Williams. You're not going to get a lot from Zaire Williams year one. I think the Grizzlies would probably like to get him to 10 to 12 minutes a night. Okay. If he does anything positive, great. But regardless of whatever outcome you get from Zaire Williams this year, you'll want to see improvement from game one to game 82. But no chapter even in the story of Zaire Williams is going to be written this year, and that's the way the Grizzlies intend for it to be. They intend for him to develop in their development system that's proven to be very successful. Mm -hmm. And from there, next summer, when we are going to have more rotation needs due to players potentially leaving in free agency, that's where we're going to step up and need Zaire Williams long-term. But this year is purely development. Anything positive you get from him is an added you know, bonus. He's not a top-ten guy in the rotation. I do think if anybody were to um, get injured, and the Grizzlies are kind of in that playoff picture, he may step up and play. Right. But development and internal development is the preference for Zaire Williams this year.
0: Yeah, they have proven a lot in their player development. Um And they've developed homegrown talent like John Morant. and He came out as an exciting prospect, but he has grown into a player faster than we thought he would at a high level. So it's very cool. As we're going to cover in the roster, let's move on to the preseason. They're currently two and one with wins against Milwaukee and Charlotte and a narrow loss to the Hawks last night. As we mentioned earlier, they're playing the Pistons tonight. What are you seeing in the rotation? Do you think it will reflect the regular season? Are there any notable differences with Steven Adams? And what are you expecting in the season based on what you've seen in the preseason? Yeah, a couple of
1: things stand out. So, um, you know, like I said, you know, mentioned earlier, I thought that jaw, Dylan, Kyle, Jaron, and Steven Adams would be the starting lineup. The, what I would change about the closing lineup is taking Steven Adams out, putting De'Anthony Melton in. What it seems now is, is that Desmond Bain probably will get the start because, you know, at the end of the day, Taylor Jenkins prefers shooting. He wants as much of it as possible. Desmond Bain, ha- in my opinion, is a top three shooter already in the history of the Memphis Grizzlies. That has a lot to do with the fact that the Grizzlies just have sucked at shooting the three for so long now. But Desmond Bain starting probably is a likely outcome. I mean, I just think that the, what's going to differ between last year and this year, or last year and this year, is going to be the three-point shooting. More of an emphasis on that. There was a joke that was out there, goo from the um, Memphis Grizzlies players. It was hashtag um, LTMF. Mm -hmm. Let let that blank fly. I won't get into what blank is. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's the mentality. At the end of the day, shoot threes. Let's continue to get better at high percentage look from threes. So more reliant on the three. But another big, big key to the Grizzlies that I think you can put a lot of faith in. This is a top ten defense, mainly because of their ability to create turnovers. So getting defense to create fast break opportunities where our roster excels and consistently improving shooting the three is our goals this season.
0: It's going to be very exciting to see. I am going to be tuning in. Uh, I have a commitment to watch a lot of NBA this season, as this is the first time we are entering the season under this podcast. It was started during the middle of last season we're going to end up with some yes or no questions. This is clickbait that has been brought upon us by you meddling viewers that need excitement in your lives. And it's also for a little bit of fun for me. Let's start right away. Sean, yes or no? John Morant, all-star. Hell yeah. Yeah, I agree. Stephen Adams, a positive contributor in this scheme, yes or no? Hell yeah. Yes. I am... Easily convinced when it comes to these things, especially because I'm hearing it from someone that has taken a further look than I have. So I'm going to say yes as well. I'm a Stephen Ams believer. Um, do you think Williams is going to end up on an all-rookie team? I know you said they develop him, but there's a chance that he gets minutes. Yes or no? No. no. Just simply because of a lack of quantity. Yes. the lack of minutes. Yes. Uh, we've covered that, and I agree with that after that assessment. JJJ. 60 plus games yes or no yes yes just to put the good energy out there because we would love jj Day to play 82 games let alone 60 grizzlies seven seed or up yes or no 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 yeah i yeah. agree with that as well um a lot of good teams out there and the west is a little bit reloaded this year that just wraps things up for us on the memphis grizzlies one of the funnest teams to watch whether it be ja dunks brooks hook hyping up on defense sluggish acrobats from kyle anderson they're also a high rising team in the nba i have high expectations for the grizzlies and Ja, and i cannot wait to watch them exceed those expectations thank you to our very special guest and sean coleman at stats sac on twitter sean plug zone please let the listeners know where they can find you what you've got cooking anything i've um,
1: actually i uh, believe that my wife has pizza cooking right now. Um, I think we're having pepper. Oh, you're talking about me. Um, no, I'll joke and decide. Thank you for having me. Um, you can find me at SEC on Twitter. Um, I write for the Grizzlies over at Grizzly Bear Blues um, on the SB Nation um, blog website. I uh, love doing that. Um, I, I talk a lot, you know, for better or worse. Um, I, I write and talk over at the Talking Chop website on SB Nation uh, to do the writing for them. Do their uh, daily in-season podcast called The Daily Hammer. Make sure you check that out where podcasts are available. And I also the host of Locked on Grizzlies, something that I love doing. Get to cover the Grizzlies just like a goo um, and covering uh, the Bucks in the NBA. But the main thing is just enjoy basketball and, and just enjoy being able to have a way to talk with others and interact with others on something I'm so passionate about. Basketball, the Grizzlies, and the NBA—it's a lot of fun. And can't thank you for having me. Also, you can listen, subscribe, and review to the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast wherever you find on podcasts. And hey, you want to hop on and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Lockdown Grizzlies? I will be—I will be very, very thankful for you to do that as well. Just as long as you do the same for no bucks given.
0: Yes, please do. As Sean mentioned, Lockdown On Grizzlies, especially it's very uh, intimate coverage of the day to day of the Memphis Grizzlies. And you can learn a lot quickly by listening to a subsequent series of those episodes such as I did in preparation for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Wednesday's episode will be covering the L.A. Clippers, but you've got to check it out to find out who the special guest joining us will be. And as always, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show.